You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy. I need to remember my name, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 a cold, cold weekend here in Long Island, New York. I'm not surprised. Finally, we have winter, but I think it's just the overcast of craziness that's going on, not only here in New York, but on the whole East Coast and West Coast kind of area. I mean, tsunamis are being Mm -hmm. talked about in California or something like that. So there's so much going on right now in the world, and we're here to entertain you people. Speedy, what is going on, my friend? I do not like the cold. I know you like the cold. This is brutal. This is brutal. (laughs) For those of you who are about to watch the uh, the Bills-Patriots game, which begins about an hour, that's also brutally cold. There were rumors it could get to zero degrees. It was seven degrees last time I checked. So at least we're not as bad as Buffalo. (laughs) Absolutely. We have a great show lined up for you guys tonight. We have a very special guest. Mm -hmm. He is awesome. He's a very well-known writer, not only here in New York, because he used to work for the New York Jets, but now he's one of the lead writers, uh, senior writers for Sports Illustrated. We have Greg Bishop joining us a little bit later in the show. He's written for so many different people. He wrote a book, and it's so interesting because Jim Gray wrote, a, I guess, a biography of Jim Gray, and he followed Jim Gray around. Long years of conversations and stories from Jimmy. The book is called Talking to Goats. It's really about all the different people that Jim Gray had an opportunity to interview. Muhammad Ali, Tom Brady, and Joe Montana. All the big-time superstars in NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, Jim Gray got to interview all of them. I love Greg Bishop. He, he's a great writer, and this is a great interview. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to love this guy, this guy's personality, everything. Stay tuned. He has so many great stories to tell us. So we have that. We're going to get into the NBA. That will be the first thing we talk about with Cam Reddish going to the New York Knicks. The Knicks not really giving up much. They actually added a second-round pick in 2025. They did give up a 2022 first-round via Charlotte Hornets pick. The Charlotte Hornets are turning out to be a pretty good team. That pick could be 19-18, so it's not a big pick. And then Kevin Knox, who hasn't really panned out for the New York Knicks. Good riddance. A top 10 pick that really hasn't developed into the player they thought he was going to be. So they add Cam Reddish. So we'll get into Cam Reddish and the New York Knicks and and Tom Thibodeau and his thoughts on filling him in when his ankle gets better. We will get into the NFL. We're going to do a wild card weekend. We'll go through all the games, our thoughts to the games, and we'll do our free-for-all, three-for-all picks of the week. We'll do all the picks, and we'll see where we are at. What was the final of the season? You won by one, because the 49ers won. That was the only game I got right, but they were on the over. I had them on the under, so you won the regular season by one. We will get into that as well. Crunch time, the NHL as well. But first things first, let's get into the Cam Reddish situation. And Cam Reddish is not a superstar in this league. Not even close. But Cam Reddish's name has been in the mix of a lot of conversations for the last couple of weeks. And there were seven teams that were interested in Cam Reddish. 
And, and, and Atlanta was looking to toss him away, move forward without him, because after drafting Hunter and different trades over the last couple of years, they've built this team really through young. And to me, Cam Reddish wasn't in their plans for the future. Cam Reddish, when he was drafted, he was a top 10 pick. I think he was drafted at 8. Mm-hmm. A lot of people liked Cam Reddish because his body and his shooting ability fit the NBA. But what has happened the last couple of years is injuries – not fitting into the offense, not really playing where they thought he was going to play at the position he was going to play, and really structural as as a three-point shooter in the NBA. He really hasn't turned into the player that Atlanta thought he was going to be. But not only that, the promise of some of the youngsters that they brought in over the last two years in the draft, building their logical offense through one guy, and that's Trey Young, it really has affected Cam Reddish's growth and really where Cam Reddish could have been as an NBA player early in his career. Now, he is 22 years old. He's going to be looking for a contract in the offseason. He wants to make about 10 to $15 million a year. I don't know if he's worth that yet, and he might even be asking for more, like a Tim Hardaway contract, mm-hmm. 17-4-4. I don't know what he's absolutely looking for. And with the new CBA, the new TV deals that the NBA has gotten, it's putting the Knicks in a situation where they're going to have to find out who Cam Reddish is and what Cam Reddish is this year because they're going to have to extend him. Remember, the Knicks have a lot of money, and they could sign Cam Reddish. But if they sign Cam Reddish, they're probably going to have to start start to decide what they're going to do with R.J. Barrett. Because RJ, once Cam Reddish gets signed, RJ is going to be looking for that contract too. RJ is the better player. But getting Cam Reddish for really a bag of buckets of fish. We can call dollars, Kevin Knox a fish. There's nothing wrong with that. You look at the position that the Knicks are in. They're in a position that if Cam Reddish turns out to be a decent player, they didn't have to trade anything away from a guy that could be a starter on this team, could average between 18 and 20 points a game, could be a very important piece defensively on the perimeter because he's a very good defender. He fits Tom Thibodeau's thought on the defensive side of the ball. But the question is, is Cam Reddish what he has been with Atlanta? Speedy, that's where the Knicks are going to have to figure out what this kid could be in New York. I'll admit to this to the weekend crunch crowd because we didn't have the show at the time of that draft. I actually, out of that draft, had Reddish ranked above Barrett. Him number three, Barrett number four, Zion and John Moran obviously one and two. So obviously I'm wrong on that, but still he has a lot of upside. 22 years old, a three and D guy, which is perfect for today's game. And in Atlanta, it was a lot harder for him to get in that rotation once he started struggling because they had other guys in the mix. Kevin Huerter, DeAndre Hunter, like you mentioned, now Bogdan Bodanovich as well in that mix of, of these wings. John Collins sometimes is a three even though he mostly plays four, and they really don't have that kind of room for him to be able to develop his full potential that way. Cam Reddish didn't want to be a bench player. He wanted to be able to play, even if he is a bench player, he wanted to play a good amount of minutes, which wasn't going to happen with Atlanta. Now he'll get that chance with the Knicks. If he gets his shot going, his three-point shot is very good when it's efficient, and he's had his shooting slumps, even at Duke at the end of the season, had a bad shooting slump into the NCAA tournament as well. So he definitely gets in his own head sometimes, but he is a very talented player with still some upside, too. I was never the biggest Kevin Knox fan, so good riddance to him. And then the Knicks have three first-round picks, so they essentially traded back, got Cam Reddish and Quentin Grimes for whatever those picks would have been in that draft. Assuming that Reddish pans out to what he's supposed to be, they definitely can make out on that. And Barrett, again, that's going to 
motivate the Knicks to keep him. Barrett, I don't think he's worthy of the max contract right now with the way he's played. But again, he might even take less to stay with the Knicks now that they have Reddish, too. So that could make, create a lot more opportunity. When I was listening to possible trades that could have happened with Atlanta and the Knicks, they wanted Grimes. And, right. and heads up for a guy like Cam Reddish. And the Knicks were not going to give up Grimes. Grimes looks like he's going to be a player for this team in the future. On a weakness the Knicks have been for really the last seven, eight years with the wing position, now it's been it's really going into the season and it's been their strength of this team. So who would have thought the weakness of this team has become their strength? So I look at Cam Reddish. I look at Grimes. I look at McBride. I look at the guard position. They have a lot of big guards that could be, play multiple positions defensively and offensively. The question is, is Tom Thibodeau the guy moving forward that's going to push this team to the next level? I don't know. I love Tom Thibodeau because I think his culture of defense has really brought this team alive. But this year, the defensive side of the ball and really the, the dysfunction of Julius Randle on the court. And I say dysfunction because I'm not saying he's not a good player. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to be here. Even when he's having a bad game, he doesn't take responsibility for himself. He's talking about his teammates, and he's talking about where the coaches should put him. Then he's attacking the fans because they're booing him because he's not playing well. He gives them a thumbs down, and then he tells them to go after themselves. So that doesn't help the situation either. The fans were chanting MVP last year. Throughout the season, he didn't win the MVP. He was comeback player of the year. And then all of a sudden this year, where we wanted to see him do it back-to-back years, now there's a crowd, now people are on him, and they're expecting him, after he gets his new contract, $160 million. Yes, he took less, but nevertheless, He's not the same player he was last year. Not even close. You know, the regression of five points a game from where he was last year, 24.1 to 19 now. 4.9 assists, which is still good for his career total, but still is down from last year where he had six. And this is the bigger problem. He is shooting 41.4%. Mm. That is sad. That's not great in college basketball where most of them average around 44-45. That's bad in college basketball. That's atrocious for the NBA. You could get away if you're a top-notch three-point shooter. You can get away with shooting 47-48% in certain years. If you're shooting any less than that, there are some concerns. And That's six percentage points down, and he's wasting possessions. I know his assist totals have still been good in certain games, but even that's starting to become inconsistent to where it was in the beginning of the season. Not shooting well down the stretch in games. That's a big problem for a guy that's supposed to be a quote-unquote number one option you're not even close to showing that kind of thing and you still think you are as indicated last week of what happened after rj barrett hit the buzzer beater he's not happy about rj barrett getting on a hot streak he's jealous yeah that's not a good look for a guy that took less money so the knicks could get another superstar player okay well i have that kind of mentality of all right I'm accepting the role of a second or third option. Yeah, that's not the mentality you want to have when your youngster, should be superstar youngster, with upside, gets hot. Let him play well. Embrace him playing well. I, that's not his culture. His culture, in, in Julius Randle's eyes, is is just being in charge, being the leader, and being everything. And I call it a culture because we've seen this over and over again with different Knicks. Carmelo Anthony was the same way. It was his culture. It was his mm-hmm. thought to control the ball, and seize the moment. We all know what Julius Randle is. He is not Carmelo Anthony, nor will he ever be Carmelo Anthony. Now, that doesn't mean that Julius Randle can't be a great player and an important player and an important piece to this team's growth, but I don't know what he is, and I don't know if he's a second option or a third option. He's damn well not a first option. So the Knicks need to figure out, is he 
the guy moving forward that you want to move forward with, knowing that his contract is absolutely worthy to trade. And number two is, if RJ becomes that number one guy or even a number two guy, and then you have other pieces, other guys like Grimes or Reddish or whoever they have, youngsters, Obi Toppin being another one who should be playing. Yep. It doesn't make any sense why he's not playing. When he is on the court, he's efficient. It doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. But they could bring in another superstar. And I'm just saying, look what... Phoenix did. Look what they did. They brought in Chris Paul. One guy changed the whole culture of that organization from really bad to a winning organization. Mm -hmm. They went from 13th seed in the Western Conference to a number one, number two seed in the last two years. One great player with all the youngsters that they have around them to make the team better. And everybody keeps taking a shot at the Knicks with the whole DeRozan thing, that DeRozan went to Chicago. Even if DeRozan went to the Knicks, would DeRozan be doing the same thing in New York that he'd be doing in Chicago? We don't know that. Mm. I know a lot of people are saying, well, we could have DeRozan. DeRozan is playing great basketball. By the way, the last week he hasn't looked good against the good teams. We could go into the Brooklyn Nets and we could say what we all believe that they are. They're a top two, top three team in all of the NBA. And to me right now, the favorites to winning the whole thing. The confidence of Kevin Durant right now, to me, the no doubt MVP of the league. As good as Steph Curry has been, as good as some of the other players that have played as well as he has, his numbers as a passer, as a wing defender, have been astronomically better. Steph Curry's had a pretty bad slump the last two weeks. So. He hurt his yeah. finger. He could be out for a significant yeah. amount of time as well. So uh, if he's out for any significant amount of time, he has no chance of winning the MVP. Mm-hmm. So I look at where Kevin Durant is and where this team is for the Brooklyn Nets. They're obviously going to be the favorites of coming out of the East. Now, as a New York fan, and there's a lot of Knicks fans out here, more than Nets fans, there are probably more change Knicks fans into Net fans because the Nets are a winning organization right now and the Knicks, they have been a losing organization for the last 20 years. But the fact is, if the Knicks win a championship, it's like God's coming down and giving us a gift. Uh And if the Brooklyn Nets come out and win a championship, they go through the city in their parades and stuff like that. I guarantee you it's not going to mean as much nope. as if the Knicks won a championship. Definitely not. So I know Kevin Durant wanted to come to a big city. He wanted to win in New York and, and build his brand. He went to the wrong team because if he went to the Knicks. Now, I know what you're going to say. All the fans, well, the Knicks didn't offer him anything. No, the Knicks didn't offer him anything because the Knicks didn't think he was going to be as good as he was before he tore his Achilles. Well, he has proven everybody wrong even at his age, that he could still play at a top level and he could be one of the top two, top three players in the league, which he's probably the number one player right now in all of the NBA. So you look at the position that the Nets are and you look at the Knicks. The Knicks were a four seed last year. Now all of a sudden, what are they, 11 trying to look inside to make the playoffs? And then you have the Nets sitting at one or two right now. Completely dominated Chicago the other day. Chicago has not been the same team for the last couple of No, they just of got weeks. blown out by Golden State yesterday, yeah, so too. <laughs> I know their schedule's a little hard, but Chicago hasn't looked good. And now you're seeing Brooklyn create more dominance as an Eastern Conference team because now Kyrie Irving is back. Now you've added your, your three. And now once Kyrie Irving figures things out and he gets his momentum and his, his ability to move the ball at the perimeter, I just think the Brooklyn Nets are going to be unstoppable. And with what I'm hearing right now, that the Nets can absolutely pay the fine, the small fine, to have Kyrie Irving play every single game for the rest of the season and not get his vaccination, I, I think that's where I think the Nets are going to move to because yeah. why take him off the court 
when you need him on the court to really show your dominance as a team and make sure that teams are going to fear you when you go into the playoffs. When we come back, we will have our special guest. Looking forward to this. We will be talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy the Man PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or you can go to Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, Pete Davidson looks like he wants to be the next guy that's being threatened by Kanye West because all over social media now, Kanye West, Kanye West, or Waste, I call him, <laughs> Kanye Waste is attacking Pete Davidson's manhood and says that if he ever sees him again, he's going to smack the you-know-what out of him. I am looking forward to this confrontation if it ever happens because I would love to see Pete Davidson smack him and give him the smacketh. Well, we have our special guest. When Speedy told me we were going to get him on, I thought, wow. We're going to get one of the best writers right now in the business. He worked for the New York Jets. Now he's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. He followed Jim Gray, a very well-known broadcaster. He's been around for a very long time in his 60s. He's interviewed some of the biggest and best, and he actually used to live with John Madden. Mm -hmm. So it's such an interesting topic of stories that he is going to get into with us. We are now talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer Greg Bishop. What's going on, Greg? Not too much, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Speedy, when he posts up things, he takes things to the next level. And when I checked out a little, I never read your book, so I definitely got to go check out your book. But the person that you are, how you moved from one position to the other, it's a pretty sensational story. And now you've been with Sports Illustrated for a little while, and you're a senior writer over there. How does that, and what does that feel like working for Sports Illustrated? Senior writer just mostly means I'm old, you know? But, uh, (laughs) you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to write for the New York Times and for SI and I was at the Times my wife didn't love New York I definitely did I was there for seven years and then I switched over so I could move back to Washington State but we have maybe 25 30 senior writers and it's still one of my favorite things you get to go cover whatever you want stories are always interesting it's a dream job for sure All right, so talking to goats, you never talk to me, and I am a goat by myself. Speedy, give me the goat sound that we were working on before the show. That's not a goat. It's bad. Use the right term over here. Anyways, tell us a little bit about your book and what made you decide to write a book like this? I've been trying to do different forms, TV writing for Showtime on the show All Access. I do a lot of documentary work in terms of scripts. And Jim Gray actually approached me with writing a book that was sort of about his life, but more about the people that were in it. You're talking Pete Rose and that dust up. You're talking LeBron James and the decision. You're talking a lot of time with Tom Brady over the years, who I'm sure is your guys' favorite. Talking about living in John Madden's apartment at Dakota in Manhattan. The idea was to explore his life through all the people that he's interacted with. And I remember going to the NBA Hall of Fame with him this past spring when he got inducted. 
And it was just wild to be like, I'm usually on the outside of the entourage, kind of looking in, hanging out, and everyone wants to get rid of me. But Jim has the kind of life where Mike Tyson was there for him. Dr. J was there for him. Mark Anastasio, the Brewers owner, was there for him. And the idea was to kind of explore what makes these people successful beyond a level that Jim or I have reached and really tell the book through their stories rather than his. In terms of the focus of these different legends, because there's many of them in different sports that I saw when I saw the cover of the book, from individual sports like Michael Phelps and Mike Tyson to team sports like Michael Jordan and Joe Montana. How do you portray those kinds of things differently? And how do you judge in terms of the philosophy of a legend, a goat? How would you describe that and portray it in terms of comparing? Because a lot of people debate who is the goat in particular sports or positions. Right. And you kind of run into like the basic semantic problem. Goat means one in general. And we had to kind of define how we would do that. To me, it was kind of like, has this person transcended sports in some way? And then the lens on how they're written about depends on Jim's interactions with them. So the chapter of Mike Tyson is about all the crazy interviews they had. You might remember the one about eating children or the one after the ear biting. Like Jim was like with him for all those. So it takes on sort of Tyson's personality. The chapter of Muhammad Ali is a lot deeper and it's about this 30 year relationship they had when Jim's first interview was with Muhammad Ali when he was like 18 years old and then how that evolved over time all the way until Ali died and then there's just a bunch of characters John Madden plays a central role really interesting in light of everything that just happened Bill Walton has a bunch of wild quotes in there we take you through the decision we take you through everything that happened with Pete Rose and the sort of just general baseline was like is this someone we will talk about forever so that's Kobe Bryant it's Michael Phelps it's a level of sports personalities that I think most people don't get to know. As you guys know, we're talking to Sports Illustrated senior writer, Greg Bishop. We're talking about his book, Talking to Goats. Obviously, if you don't know who Jim Gray is, well, then you're sleeping under a rock. I don't know what the heck you are. Jim Gray, I actually met Jim years and years ago. I've been in the business for about 10 years. One of the bigger, more known American sports casters. One of my favorites and one of my mentors, Ian Eagle, knows Jim pretty well. Tell us a little bit about following him around and talking talking to him, being on the phone and having a conversation about all the different stories that Jim was telling you from one story to the other, a Tom Brady story to a Mike Tyson story, a Nick story with Patrick Ewing. What was it like just hanging out with Jim Gray and getting all the information and writing a book like this? Yeah, well, it was actually pretty interesting. You know, I deal with famous people a lot in my job, but it's just like kind of a different level. You know, we'll be riding the car and he'll get like a FaceTime from Tyson or something to that effect. And mm -hmm. what really stood out to me are what you just said, the stories, whether it's meeting Yoko Ono while living at John Madden's apartment or the way that Dr. J kind of adopted him as part of his family when he was starting his career in Philadelphia or how the decision came to be or all the time that he spent with Tom Brady over the years. There's just a level of depth, I think, to his relationships that stood out to me. Most of them continue on to this day. And it was just story after story after story. I had a long drive home today and I was actually talking to him and we were just telling Madden stories for like an hour. He was talking about this deli they used to go to in New York and how Madden would like look in the back. He said, Jim, what's the difference between aged beef and old meat? You know, and <laughs> you can just picture him with like a telestrator, like drawing it out. He's going to Madden's funeral next week. The amount of stories, I think that people that have been in the business that long, but also have reached that level of access and are able to tell, it's just different than now. I think they were a lot closer with people. And I think that really comes across in the stories that he tells for sure. 
So you actually texted me about an hour ago that you actually were with Cooper Cup's parents today. And it leads me to this question because, again, a lot of athletes all have their close people, whether it's family, whether it's close friends, whether it's a girlfriend. Is there a difference in terms of when you've had your experiences with them in comparison to maybe another athlete's impersonation of him, a Hall of Fame voter, anything like that, or even it's just anyone in the industry like a broadcaster? Is there a different philosophy of the way they think of these guys? And if so, what are some of those experiences like? Yeah, I think guys a lot of times sort of go with what they're comfortable with. So you'll see a lot of athletes like Aaron Rodgers, for instance, right now does a lot of his interviews on the Pat McAfee show. Jim's relationships were pretty long lasting. And then I think something like today, like I spent the day with the Cups in Yakima, Washington. We went to Cooper's favorite burger restaurant, kind of a hometown tour, went by the high school, hearing old stories. Dad couldn't draft him on his fantasy team and he ended up losing <laughs> to the guy that did. And you're really just trying to get a sense of like what his life's really like. What are the dots that connect to like this crazy season that he's having? It's kind of different with every guy. Some guys you go back to all the time. Some guys you're in regular contact with. I still talk to some of the Jets from the time when I covered them back in 9 and 10 <laughs> and 11. And to me, it's sort of individual basis. But one thing I've noticed about a lot of these guys is they're much more normal than you think. Flawed in some instances, funny in others. They're not like as famous as they are famous, if that makes sense. They're regular people. Some of them are great. Other ones you'd rather not deal with again. But in general, interacting with them is more normal, I think, than people would expect. Well, speaking of an ex-Jet, I did a show for almost six months with Eric Coleman. Me and him were doing a show here on Long Island. Now he does a sports betting show on MSG. Sincerely, he's doing very, very well, and I'm very happy for him. He's a friend. We did a show. We had a great show. Very, very funny. I disagree with a lot of things he had to say when it comes to comparing and contrasting Allen Iverson to James Harden, which I think is ridiculous. That's a whole other story, and we're not going to get into that right now. What are your thoughts to, when you're around these athletes, I've been around a lot of them, and I was an athlete myself. What is it like being around a superstar athlete that is considered a god in their sport, considered a different personality to other people, but you as a writer getting the information and putting on a piece of paper for what they want you to know for all the other people to know about a story, about themselves, or even just about who they are behind the scenes? What is it like doing that? One thing I do now that I didn't do as much when I was younger is I really try to explain what I'm trying to get. This is kind of how I see the story, and like this is what I think it looks like, but I want to really hear what they have to say because often I think these guys look at like people that do the job I do and they think that you come in with your story pre-written and you're sort of just trying to fill in the blanks and like a Mad Libs exercise. So with Cooper, for instance, the idea is like what went into this kind of season. I think there's maybe a sense from people that don't follow the NFL as closely that it just kind of came out of nowhere. And so what I'm trying to do with the piece, which will be out next week, is really kind of connect those dots. How did this come to be? It's not as surprising as it may look. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of good fortune. It took a lot of growing up in Yakima and playing in Eastern Washington and all these things for him to then win the Triple Crown, which is pretty amazing. And I think it really helps to kind of bring it to a normal level. I did our preview cover on Dak Prescott, for instance. And the idea was like, we sort of define him by these events that have happened to him. His brother died by suicide. He broke his ankle. His mom died from cancer when he was in college. And I just thought there was a lot more to it than that. And when I sat down with him at the cigar bar in Dallas this summer, the idea was like to explore how all these events brought him to the season and whether it sort of steeled him to do this thing that no Cowboys quarterback has done in a quarter century. The idea is you talk through it with them. Like it sounds like you know you and Eric disagree. You're able to sort of talk through how you see things where I think a lot of times these guys are just expecting the same questions. I really like to ask weird stuff. I like to throw them off and talk about books and podcasts and anything. Deck and I share podcasts and book recs to this day and 
I think it's just to kind of bring it to a level of human to human rather than famous person and totally not famous person. Right. They tend to, I think, respond better to that. Or if they don't like it, they probably don't want the kind of story that I do. I want to know if there's anything in terms of your book or even the experiences you've had that addresses a lot of the controversial legends a lot of the time. We're seeing two of them now with the Baseball Hall of Fame with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and also Kurt Schilling for a different reason. You saw Terrell Owens. It took three tries for him to get in the Hall of Fame. And they're kind of portrayed differently. And even some of the guys you mentioned, somebody like Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali that were outspoken the way they were. So how do you relate to those kinds of things and judge legend when it comes to those kinds of things are the scandals something that downgrades them or is it part of their story is it something good like you were talking about with pete rose yeah i would say like uh two parts to that like one is that i would judge their like goatness for lack of a better term based mostly on what they did compared to their era so with the baseball guys i sort of think if they were all doing something that maybe it's odd to penalize a couple guys who were famous that got caught in terms of a story i'm attracted to the controversy i think that there's always something to do there i think a lot of people cover sports leagues where they talk to owners and GMs, and it's sort of a top-down view. I like talking to guys about what their life is like. You mentioned Terrell Owens. I did a story on him for Where They Now a couple years ago, and I spent two days in LA with him. And we're like driving around and he's like in a rental car with one of those spare tires on it and <laughs> talking about like all he ever really wanted to do was go to a desert island and disappear because he understands how people think about him. And he realizes that he put himself in this situation and that so much of the problem with him resulted from things that he himself did. That to me is really interesting material to like work with. It's not to present him as like redeemed or like perfect or even better than his typical caricature would be. It's more to understand like, how did he get there? What does he think about it? What does he think about being thought of this way? I pitched a story recently. I think Jay Cutler is really interesting. Now he's like- uh, So is his wife. <laughs> he's, like, he's like running for a school board seat in Illinois and we got all this vaccine debate raging in schools. I think that would be a really interesting piece. Like how does the most hated man in sports ultimately come to want to run for a school board seat because of how he feels about vaccines. And to me, like, rather than just sort of condemn him for it, I'm more interested in why does he think that way? What does he think he can get out of it? And that kind of tension and character, I usually like writing about that more because I think it usually leads to more rich, interesting characters. I actually like Jay Cutler, by the way. I, I think he's a very funny guy. Followed him from college football. I think he played for Vanderbilt yep. and then mm -hmm. came to the NFL with the Broncos. He played very well for Brandon Marshall. That was an interesting connection. And then going to Chicago. I still can't picture on a school board, though. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like Jay Cutler at all. I, I will say this. Jay Cutler's show was pretty amusing. Living on a farm and hanging out with his beautiful wife, who's a clothing designer supermodel on a TV show from California. Interesting. When you talk about some of these unbelievable athletes, but how about some of the other people that you probably wanted to interview, like the president of the United States? Maybe you wanted to interview Donald Trump or Ronald Reagan or one of these guys. Is there a particular person that you haven't interviewed yet that you would absolutely love to interview in the future? It's a great question. Well, the good thing for the talking to goat side is Jim's interviewed the last 10 U.S. presidents. So it's actually a chapter in there. And I'm sure you guys will be shocked, but we spent a lot of time weighing how much to include on Trump and what to say as we went through the writing process. Uh, if I had to pick somebody to interview of anyone I'd never have. Gandhi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Like I've interviewed most of the people that I'd want to. Probably would be in a different sport. Right. To me, like somebody like LeBron James or 
I've done a lot of tennis. I'm just like cycling through the sports in my head. Yeah, it would be somebody with an interesting story. Let's say Jay Cutler for now, and I uh, hope he says yes. Is there any athlete that you've interviewed that you were like, wow, I did not expect him to have this kind of personality to him and a surprising element of either his personality or his life, something outside off the field, something like that? And if so, who is it? Yeah, I would say Dak Prescott's a good example. Every athlete I go to see, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or whoever I'm writing about, they always say that they're like a real normal human person. They can connect and they're just like me. And they have kids and a heavy schedule, blah, blah, blah. Dak's like the first guy. He really felt like a normal human being, which kind of surprised me. Like he ordered DoorDash at his house for us. He's got a golf course in the backyard, which makes him totally not normal, I realized. One green and like three different aiming parts, you know, we're out there goofing around. He just struck me as like a kind of guy you'd like to have a beer with. Somebody like that is revealing. I'll give you another example. New York sports. I thought Eric Mangini was incredibly interesting to cover. And I covered him and Rex Ryan at the times. My first job was covering the Jets. And Rex was interesting in a totally different way, a totally bombastic way. But if I had to say, like, which guy would I go get a beer with and who might I learn more from? I thought that Eric was way more interesting than he portrayed himself to be in press conferences when he was essentially Belichicking his way through them. And I just think a lot of times you're kind of surprised by that. I've talked to guys who like are into drawing comic books. I've talked to guys who are into four wheelers. I went dog food shopping with Terrence Crawford, the boxer one time. These guys are more normal than we think, and they have a wide range of interests and usually that's what i'm trying to find out what do they think about something you wouldn't expect talking about comic books i see a bunch of them behind you i see you're a collector these are my super bowl covers my buddy does the warhol thing for me really yeah Yeah. very interesting every corner of the world that anybody goes if you're a writer if you're a personality i know howard stern personally i've done some work for him as a dj and having a conversation with him everybody thinks the guy's a crazy lunatic an idiot an ass meanwhile the guy donates more money more time to trying to help animals out here on the island trying to help people and by the way eric mangini the jets made a big mistake letting him go the whole thought process of bringing in brett Favre, the jets and woody johnson told eric mangini bring him in if he doesn't play well he doesn't do this you can get rid of him you can pick any quarterback you want instead they keep brett Favre and they get rid of eric mangini so the jets didn't do him right when he walked away from bill belichick after bill belichick took his clothes his box of stuff in the office over there in New England and throw it outside the door because he didn't want him to go over there to Jets and coach the Jets. So it's just a shame how he got treated by the New York Jets. And if you look at all the draft stock that Eric Mangini had, you're talking about some of the best players the Jets have ever had. Ferguson, Mangold, Revis. These guys were Eric Mangini's picks. His guys. So for anybody to take shots at Eric Mangini, and a lot of people don't like Eric Mangini still here, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. I love covering that team. All the guys you mentioned, Revis Island, I still remember it. I did like the Art of Trash Talk with Bart Scott, where we like watched wrestling videos at his house. Let me do some sort of cross-faced chicken wing thing. I don't know what it is, but I did it. Chris Jenkins cooked for me because I was writing about how he was healthier and losing weight. Nick Mangle, how much he loves wine and how he would go on these trips every summer. I'm kind of weird and like to explore things that way. Revis and I built like the perfect corner one time with everybody's different attributes. It was a really, really fun team to cover. Bart Scott was absolutely a riot. I'm sure he was. Modern future branding stuff like we're seeing now with social media, also the college players now with the NIL rules now being able to brand the way they did. So how do you think that'll change the world of these other athletes? Like you're saying, they're more not 
jock-like and more normal, like they like other things more than people think. How do you think that'll change the perception of the way we see these athletes as a whole, both in college and in professional sports? Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting because to me, the key is like, are they going to be revealing? We see things like the Players' Tribune or places where they have a lot more control over the content. And I think most of the time I listen to these podcasts or watch these shows or read these stories and think it's not that interesting. Or maybe there's one sentence in there that really draws me into another story. I think if guys take control of their own stuff in a way where they're still revealing, where they're revealing more of themselves. This is the first year a college athlete ever had like a representative reach out to me. That was kind of weird. That's definitely going to change some stuff. I just feel like the, the more famous they get in general, the more they're cordoned off. It's harder to get to them. The more you get in 25 minutes in a conference room as opposed to hanging out with them and seeing a little bit more of who they actually are. My guess is we'll know less about them, less actually interesting revealing stuff. But I really hope that I'm wrong because there's so many ways to like get your message out now. The question is, are you doing it just as a brand? Is it really easy to see through exactly what your aims are? Have you said anything interesting in the podcast that you're putting out? I think there are definitely guys that do it really well. To me, Brandon Marshall's podcast is pretty interesting. I think that you're seeing more guys do their own production too. Kevin Durant did the documentary in PG County. You've just seen a lot of that stuff. I think there's room for all of it. I just hope that we don't lose sort of these windows into guys that are actually revealing and instead get these sort of prepackaged talking points where everything just feels like a presidential tour. And to me, that's the stuff I just totally tune out. So I hope it's not as bad in the future as I think it will be, but there's not really a lot of reason to think that it won't get more constricted. Quick, it's less than better while you have the chance. <laughs> Some of the stuff that they put on Showtime, these talk show podcasts, I think it's ridiculous. You have Jackson and Matt Barnes. They got all these basketball players on from Kobe Bryant, may rest in peace, to Kevin Durant. I was never a Matt Barnes fan. And some of the stories that I've heard about him on and off the court, I have no respect for somebody like that. And I got to watch his crazy ass on a podcast show that Showtime's paying him. And I'm watching this and I'm like, this guy doesn't even know how to ask a question. Why the hell is he running a podcast? But that's just me. I don't know. Steven Jackson, too. I have enough to say about him with his quirky attitude, too, on and off the court, too. But when you talk about making your picks on who you think is going to win the Super Bowl, who you think is going to win the NBA championship, I know you're a sports fan. Who do you got going to the Super Bowl, and who do you have winning the Super Bowl this year? I picked Packers and Chiefs. I like the narrative arc of that selection. I feel like the AFC is really a weird conference to call. Mm -hmm. I'll be pretty interested in see how if Derrick Henry comes back and they just kind of steamroll in Tennessee. But I also kind of feel like they could lose to like the Patriots if they beat the Bills like the first game they play. And so I think the Packers have been the most complete team throughout the year, which is wild with the amount of turbulence they've gone through and the amount of sort of infighting that's been pretty obvious, I think, from even the outside. I think the NFC is a stronger conference, so I'm more interested to see how some of those work. But to me, the Bucks are pretty banged up. Cowboys have looked amazing at times and kind of struggled at others. So I would love a Packers-Chiefs because I think it's Super Bowl one rematch. It's LaFleur and Reed. It's Rodgers and Mahomes. And I think it would be, from a narrative standpoint, really interesting. I picked the Packers to win in a close game, which just means you should bet somewhere else because I'm never right. So, Well, I will tell you this. Before the season started, Speedy will even come out and tell you, I had the Packers in Tennessee going to the Super Bowl, and both of them are number one teams. I do believe Derrick Henry's coming back, and I wouldn't be surprised now with Cunningham coming to the team. It's really transitioned this defense to be one of the best. They were one of the worst defenses in the league the year before. Now they're one of the best 
defenses in the league, and they've really transitioned not to be an offensive team as much as you thought they were going to be this year. A.J. Brown wasn't 100% healthy. Julio Jones that they brought in really wasn't 100% healthy, and Derrick Henry was out half the season. So now they're going to be at full strength and the defense. I'm not a big Ryan Tannehill fan. I think his wife is beautiful. That's what stands out in my eyes with Ryan Tannehill and the fact that Adam Gase, every single quarterback that's gotten away from Adam Gase besides Sam Donald has actually become something. That's a whole nother story, but I would agree with you. But I picked Tennessee in the beginning of the year to win the Super Bowl. I think this is Aaron Rodgers' last hurrah with the Green Bay Packers. I think he's gone next year. I think he's going to be looking elsewhere. Maybe the Broncos, maybe somewhere else. There's quite a few teams that'll be looking for the best quarterback in the NFL. And hands down, the best quarterback. I don't care what anybody says. As good as Tom Brady is, he's the best. And by the way, did you like what those writers were saying? I won't vote for Aaron Rodgers because he's a bad guy. Could you believe a writer would say that where these writers have the opportunity to vote and they're throwing themselves under the bus? If I was the NFL right now, I'd be like, you know what? You're not voting anymore. Yeah. Am I surprised? No. Do I agree? with it? Absolutely not. I think too often in our business, in my business, the idea is to moralize from up high on the mountaintop. <laughs> Most writers I know do not live perfect lives. Most would not welcome the kind of scrutiny that they bring to the world. And I don't agree with a lot of things that Aaron Rodgers says, but he's had an amazing season. In fact, I think it's hard to find a comparable. When you look at everything that's gone on, the amount of craziness with the vaccine stuff, you're fighting with your boss. They should be like eight and eight after everything they've gone through. And yet they've been the only team, I think, in pro football that has been really consistent throughout the year. There's no reason to think that they won't at least have a very good chance of winning. And to me, that speaks to his talent level above all else. Like he kept it together, had an amazing season, should win MVP again. And I don't have to care about him as a human being if I'm just looking at, like, is he a good football player? One bold prediction for the NFL playoffs. Right now, in my bracket that I put in, I have the Patriots beating the Bills and then the Titans. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. With Derrick Henry? Or lose on Sunday or whatever, but, you know, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Greg, I really appreciate you joining us. We definitely would love to get you on again. Your story is amazing. And just who you are as a person and what you've done so far in your life. And by the way, you're not that old. I'm 39. I'm going to be 40. So we're probably not far far apart from one another. I started as an executive producer at CBS. I wanted to leave CBS and start my own thing. I've been working on building my network of the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now I want to pitch this show. Our show is as good as any show right now on the market. We're very funny. We're very stupid. But we love to interview people. And we love to have fun, man. And, and that's what we love to do. And to be spontaneous and be ourselves is something that a lot of radio networks and radio shows don't have have on any market and that's what makes us a little bit different so we really really appreciate you joining us and we'll definitely get you on again thank you yeah for sure thank you for having me you actually made me miss new york i've been gone for about seven years now but brought back some memories that's good anytime you want to come to new york you want to stay at a place you're more than welcome i got a nice place over here you can stay and hang out over here we'll take you to the wineries over here on long island you and your <laughs> wife and your family it's beautiful over here in the summertime it really is Perfect. Absolutely. i might leave the kids but other than that all good you know yeah <laughs> absolutely Absolutely. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Tell the fans how they can find you and how they can find your book, too. Yeah, I'm at SI Greg Bishop on Twitter. Same on Instagram. We have author pages at SI that have all our 
work. Talking to Goats has its own page, HarperCollins, and then Amazon, all that kind of stuff. So if anybody wants to pick a book up, that'd be great. I'll send you guys a copy. Just send me out Definitely. We'll follow you. You follow us. I'm looking forward to getting you on again. You really are awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Speedy, I, I swear, this guy was one of the best interviews we've ever had. The epiphany of what you want to be as a writer. I use epiphany because it's a big word, and sometimes I wonder what it means. But he really is a, a special writer. And if you'd never checked out his book, Talking to Goats, well, go out, go on Amazon. I want to read the book as well, and we'll get him on again, and we'll talk a little bit about the stories he's written about. But he's got chapter after chapter about all different athletes and people that Jim has really gotten opportunity to, to be around and talk to. So, And even him, Greg told us a bunch of stories mm-hmm. about some of the interviews he's had and some of the people he's met. Dak Prescott being one of the best interviews he's ever had and a guy that he would hang out and drink with. I mean, right. seriously. Uh-huh. Greg is just a great person, and hopefully he'll be a fan of the show moving forward. We'll have him on quite a few more times. So thank you, Greg, for joining us. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, what you all have been waiting for, Wild Card Weekend, we'll get into the skirmish of firings and where do the Giants go for their GM now that Joe Judge was fired this past week. I've been hearing maybe the enemy if they bring in a guy from the Chiefs office. They're talking to two or three of them. If they bring somebody from the executive side of the football to the Giants, maybe it's Eric Bieniemy, the next new head coach for the New York Giants. Also, stories coming out that Adam Gase might be one of the offensive coordinators interviewed for the Giants. Oh, God. So that will be interesting as well. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into Giants, Jets, and Wild Card Weekend here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I love this. Nice little beat, nice little drizzle. As you guys know, I am the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the white boy, Petey. Well, we could call him White Hatter, uh, the Mad Hatter, or whatever. Right? Mad Hatter, nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, anyways, uh, remember you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Greg Bishop, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic interview. The stories that he got into and just who he is as a personality. And he doesn't really think highly of himself. He's one of those guys that feels like he's one of the boys. I respect that about him because a lot of different writers we have interviewed over the years, not that they think that they're better than us, but just who they are and what they have done in their careers. They feel like they can jump over what we're saying as professional radio show host. So I especially love what he said. Like a lot of these athletes are normal people and you don't think of them that way all the time with all the fame and the fortune that they get. They, a lot of them are normal people and he really got the best out of a lot of these guys when it comes to being someone that likes to hang out with them. Like you were saying with Dak Prescott earlier, uh, Cooper Cup's parents and Cooper Cup, they went to a burger place. Like some of the fascinating, fascinating things that he brought out of these guys. Go to Amazon, go to Borders Books, whatever bookstore that's around you. Go check it out. Jim Gray's Talking to Goats by Greg Bishop. Great book. I'm going to read it. I don't, I'm not a book reader. Some of the stories that he was telling us about, I, I'd like to read some of the stories. And then we'll get him back on again, and we'll talk about some of the stories, the way Jim Gray 
expressed himself with some of the stories that he was telling him. Not only about the late, great John Madden, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, all the different guys. Uh, That's just football. But why don't we get into some football conversation? Let's get to the Giants first because this past week, we thought last week they were going to keep Joe Judge. And then it came out that the Giants were going to let go of Joe Judge. Now, I think... In the big picture of where the Giants are looking now, if they're bringing in a new GM, the GM's going to want to bring in his own coach. With some of the fans all over social media, don't get it twisted. If you don't think John Mara is reading what social media and what the newspapers are writing, or even Steve Tisch, if he's not reading what people are writing about the Giants and how off they are as an organization since they were winning in 2011, they've fallen off bringing in Ben McAdoo and then... Pat Shermer, and then obviously Joe Judge. They went through three coaches in the stint of seven years. That's not giant-like because they had Tom Coughlin there for almost 11 years, 12 years, and he won two Super Bowls. Right now, the Giants, they're having a panic attack because they don't know what this team is going to be and what this organization is going to be in the future. The Jets are absolutely in a better position than the Giants are, Mm -hmm. not only with the draft stock, with the money that they have on board, even with the quarterback position. They might have their future quarterback moving forward for the next 10 to 20 years. The Giants don't know where their quarterback is or what their quarterback is because they didn't put a team around him to see what he is capable of doing on the field. Now, Joe Judge getting fired, it's not surprising. If you're a Giant fan and you're surprised that the Giants fired Joe Judge, then you're not watching the same game we've been watching. Now, do I think Joe Judge got... Lifted from position faster than most coaches do. Yes, I do. I think Joe Judge deserved a third year. Not because he's been great, because he's been horrible, but because when you give a guy a tenure and he signed a four-year deal, you usually let him play out three out of the four years and see what he can do. And with the team that he has right now and a team that he helped build, you want to see them fully recovered, full strength, and what this team could be with the same coaching staff. Now, you're going to rebuild this coaching staff. It's not going to be the same defensive coordinator. It's not going to be the same special teams coach or the offensive coordinator or even the coach. Now you're bringing in a GM that's going to have a different thought of where this team should be and where this team could be. So now you're restarting and you're rebuilding this team just like the Jets have been doing for the last three years with Joe Douglas, a new GM. Now, in position of where the Giants have been in the NFC They're set up very well, and I'm going to tell you why. They're in the worst division in football. The Eagles, even though they've had a good season, they're still rebuilding. They're still not quite there in a championship competitive team. Their defense is good. Their offense is uh. They don't know if Jalen Hurts is the guy. Their running game was one of the best in the league, but their wide receiving core is horrible. They don't know who they are and their identity is. The Dallas Cowboys, they're a good team this year, but they're another team. Dak Prescott coming off of a major injury. This team looked good in the beginning of the season, looked unstoppable, and has slowly fallen off in the middle of the season. Even though you're going to say, well, they have 12 wins. Yeah, those 12 wins were not easy at the end of the season. So the Cowboys are fighting for dear life going into the playoffs. And then you have the Washington football team. February 2nd, they'll have their name, apparently. Their owner is no longer the owner of the team. He gives it to his wife. He's probably going to be fined and sued up the you-know-what by the time these stories come out. Thanks to him, John Gruden doesn't have a job. But not only that, the Washington football team doesn't have an identity. They tried to build a defense. This defense, they look good one game, they look bad the next game. They look good one game, they look bad the next game. They look horrible one game, and they look great another game. They're not a consistent team. 
So where do the Giants fit in in that conversation? Very simple. The Giants do have pieces. Now, are they good? We don't know. Saquon Barkley's probably going to be gone next year. They're not re-signing him, especially if you're bringing in a new GM that has his own thoughts of building this offense. So Saquon will be gone. They're going to have to decide what they're doing with Kenny Galladay, but off the salary cap, if you get rid of him, you're going to be paying $10, $12 million next year. So what are they going to do? They're going to keep Kenny Galladay. Evan Ingram, he's going to be gone. So what do you need to do? You're either going to have to draft a tight end or you're going to have to find a tight end in free agency. Sterling Shepard, another guy who got a big contract, played all right in the beginning of the season, and then got hurt. And now with all his family situation and his divorce, now the Giants have to decide, hey, could we get something for Sterling Shepard? Maybe we can get a fourth-round pick for Sterling Shepard and move on from him. Plus a bad Achilles injury right at the end of the season, too. That was yeah. a help. And then you got Tony, who looked really, really good in the games that he did play this year. And then the games that he didn't play, well, you saw how bad the offense was. So we don't know what Tony is, the jo- human joystick, whatever you want to call him, because he barely played this year. So I know Giant fans want to compare him, contrast him to Odell Beckham. He's not. By the way, Slayton, I don't want to hear anymore that he's Odell Beckham-like. Slayton disappeared on the face of the earth this year. He had a lot of chances to catch open balls in the end zone on the 10-yard line. I saw him drop the ball numerous amount of times this year. So I don't know if Slayton's going to have a job next year either with the Giants. So this offense, the offensive line, Nate Solder is going to be gone next year. This offensive line needs to re- be rebuilt. This offense needs to be rebuilt. The defense is, eh, okay. Their secondary is the strongest part of that defense. They have no pass rush whatsoever. So, Speedy, I don't know what you can say about this team moving forward that enlightens you except the fact that the Giants are in the NFC East. Yeah, the NFC East gives it a little bit of a silver lining because Washington's dysfunctional. Dallas is streaky year to year. And the Eagles, I think they have a, a good amount of talent, but there are a lot of them are in the same area. So they're still not a great team either. But yeah, that's the only glimmer of hope they have because they still have a lot of bad contracts. The Giants have a lot of the same strengths all in the same area. But Leonard Williams played terribly this year, especially as a pass rusher. Dexter Lawrence played well okay. And the secondary, even though it's talented, was a little down for where it was last year. So the, what are the the alleged strengths of the team are not going to be the strengths of the team if they don't have these underperformers like this. The offensive line is going to have to be rebuilt as it is. Hernandez is going to be gone. He's a free agent. Told Nate you Solder. he was going to stink. Nate Solder is already gone. Good riddance. Um, really, the only centerpiece they have is Thomas. Andrew Thomas. Mm-hmm. Billy Price is okay. I can live with him, but again, that's really it right now. And they're going to have to draft a lot of offensive linemen. They have these draft picks to make it work. And pass rush, like you were saying, too. They have to take advantage of a pass rusher with one of these picks, fifth or I seventh. don't even know if you do that Speedy, I, I think you maybe go after two offensive linemen. You want to protect Daniel Jones if you think Daniel Jones is the future of this team, which I still believe that he could be. I still believe Daniel Jones could be the franchise quarterback of this team. What they need to do is they need to make sure that you're protecting him and making him realize that he is the cornerstone of moving forward offensively. Yeah, I think Daniel Jones will stay too as yes, long as I do too. as long as they don't bring in like a Russell offensive Wilson. coordinator type. No, I'm not even talking about a quarterback, an offensive coordinator type that might want his own quarterback, a younger coach or even like a B enemy like you were mentioning that might want his own guy, want his own scheme fit. That's the only way I could see that kind of thing, but if it's a pretty traditional coaching hire, it's going to be probably still Daniel Jones. 
Jones. We've heard many different reports of Buffalo Bills assistant GM Joe Schoen's in the mix. You mentioned the Chiefs. And if that happens, Dave will be the head coach of the team. Yes, and the same thing with the Chiefs. They have one, Ryan Poles, who's an assistant GM. If that's the case, Biennemi will probably be the coach. There's also two guys from Arizona, uh, one of which was former safety Adrian Wilson that's mm-hmm. in the running as well, and two guys from Tennessee as well that are also in the mix too, which they're kind of in a similar situation where the Titans were kind of 2016, 2015 right in that cusp where they had a lot of these bad contracts, and John Robinson was able to rebuild the team nicely with a lot of good draft picks. So maybe the Giants go in that direction with that kind of thing. I would not mind the Bills either because the Bills kind of rebuilt with good balance, and now they're one of the most balanced teams in the league. Outside of really running backs and pass rushers, they have a lot, pretty much everything else covered, and the Bills were mediocre to average to dysfunctional for quite a while, kind of like the Giants are now. So I would not mind that kind of thing. I'm a little down on Dable as a head coach from where he was stock was last year, but still wouldn't mind it if it meant bringing in the Buffalo it's assistant than Joe Judge. Well, that's not saying much. Right now where the, the Giants are positioned, they're positioned in a very good position because they got two first-round draft picks. Right. And where they're at, that's all they got. I mean, they have no money on the board. Bringing in a GM that's really in position that he's going to have to drop contracts. They're going to be in cap hell next year. So they're really going to be rebuilding. It's going to take at least three years to turn this team around. Maybe even four. Where you look at the New York Jets now. The Jets are positioned very, very well. By the way, I I found out Zach Wilson and his girlfriend look like they they broke up. Which a lot of Jet fans are like uh, jumping off a bridge because she's so beautiful. Who cares? Maybe this will make Zach Wilson a better quarterback. Maybe this will get his head. Right, maybe it was a distraction. Yeah, Yeah. maybe it was a distraction to the team. So bringing a new Zach Wilson next year, a free agent, a bachelor, maybe this helps him and his growth in the offseason. Learning the plays, learning the offense, and understanding the offense, which he has done this year. We have seen some growth of this team this year. We really have. Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be a star guard in this league for many, many years. Makai Beckton was out this year. Jet fans and stories coming out that the Jets are getting rid of him. They're not. Stop it. Any of the writers out there listening to this, they're not moving on from Makai Beckton when he was arguably a top six tackle going into the season. He plays the first game. He didn't look good in the preseason because he wasn't healthy. And that was the stories coming out. And then he hurts his knee and he's out for the season. So that wasn't Makai Beckton. And he'll be back next year, guaranteed, and he'll be a different player. George Font looked like a player. Mm-hmm. He was a top 11 tackle in the league. If they decide to bring him back, they move him to the, the right tackle position. Then you bring in a guard or a center like Linenbaum, Iowa, who actually two days ago declared himself into the NFL draft, which everybody knew he was going to do. A lot of people think that he could be the best offensive lineman in this year's draft, and he might fall in this draft. And if the Jets bring him in as the center, you move McGovern to the guard position, you, you solidify your offensive line for a long, long time. Yeah, the Jets are in a very good position when it comes to being able to have position flexibility in the draft. Rating points, the Jets are like five or 600 points over everybody mm-hmm. for rating points of, of where they're picking four of the top 45 picks in right. this year's draft. Yeah, because Carolina's second-round pick looks really good the way they struggled this year. Their own second-round pick is, is practically a first-round pick, too. So I think it's four picks in the top, like, 36 or something like that. Like, that's insane for them to be able to get that kind of draft stock. And they have so much flexibility of where they can go. Now, they still have obvious needs, for sure. But 
Top four, $65 million yeah. under the cap? Yeah. Top four pick, you're guaranteed one of the top four, like the consensus top four players. A lot of people are thinking Karloftis as well could be in that mix too, but Stingley, Evan Neal, and obviously the two pass rushers, Thibodeau and Hutchinson, you're pretty much guaranteed one of the top four. You could go Karloftis too, and that would be a great pick as well. And then top ten, you could be looking at somebody like a Lindenbaum. Which He's, I heard they really yeah, like. I don't blame him. He's been the best center in college football that I can remember for a long time. People were hyping up Creed Humphrey last year, and he had a great season with the Kansas City Chiefs. But Lindenbaum outplayed him in a lot of areas, too, this season and even last season, too, for Iowa. So this guy could be one of those guys that could be a transcendent center. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a transcendent center for the modern NFL, the way he moves around well, his speed for his size, and his run blocking ability, which the Jets kind of need because they're in that exotic running scheme that Mike LaFleur has bringing over the Kyle Shanahan Could you imagine you put him at center? And then you have Elijah Vera Tucker and Makai Beckham, two guys that are a beast in the running game, two really strong guys. Could you imagine what that line's going to do when it comes to pushing defenses? They'll be running all over defenses next year, if, especially if they find another running back to give you a, a double dose or a double deuce behind the line of scrimmage right. with Michael Carter Jr. Which so, all those ex- with all those extra draft picks, though, they're, they're going to get one because there's a, a lot of the running back depth in this draft is in the second and third round area. There's really no Najee Harris or ETN like there was last year. It's really a, a debate of, is it somebody like a Brees Hall? Is it is it somebody like Brian Robinson from Alabama? Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, another guy that had a great year this season. Most of those guys are going to be in the second and third round realm, so the Jets could definitely scoop one of those up, get more of a good pure runner. They have a lot of guys that could be, I mean, Carr is a good runner too, but they have mostly guys that He had are, a fantastic season. He did, he did. Yeah. But he's even still more of the scrimmage back type thing, pass catching. Same thing with Tevin Coleman, if he plays. They he's need, gone. He's, they're not bringing it back next. Oh yeah, that's right. He's only in a one-year deal. Yeah, they're not bringing it I think he's on a two-year deal, no. but yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he'll be gone anyway. So then you're dealing with, again, a bunch of scat back types, which is fine for that kind of offense. And even Elijah Moore we've seen out of the backfield, too, on reverses. But they could use somebody that's more of a good pure runner. I think Brees Hall would be the guy that would be perfect for that kind of thing because he's Mm -hmm. got good size, good quickness for his size. And the Jets could get him in the second round, even the third round, too, if they fall. Because running backs aren't being drafted very early. That's the position the Jets are in. I think where the Jets are sitting, they're sitting pretty. $60 $60 million, probably a little bit more under the cap. Uh, they're getting $15 more million with the new CBA and TV deals uh, going in this year. So the Jets are predominantly could have $70 million, which is top seven, top six right now of salary room. And Joe Douglas don't give long-term deals. Look what he gave Corey Davis. Right. He could actually walk away from Corey Davis after next year, not lose anything because right. he gave him a top-heavy contract. So they're really positioned well. Now, they're going to have to bring Braxton Barrios. He's an all-pro player. Uh, He looked really good, and he fits very well in the scheme. I think he could be like an Edelman who can do things, you know, not only offensively, but even schematically, uh, not not defensively, but special teams-wise. So where the Jets are sitting, if they find themselves a top number one wide receiver, they have Elijah Moore, he could turn out to be one, but they need to bring somebody in now that's going to help them. And then... Give yourself a pass rusher. Yeah, Carl Lawson will be back this year. We don't know what Carl Lawson they're gonna come back, is going to come back. But knowing him and how hard he works, he's going to be a top-end player. I, I believe he will. And, and that really hurt the Jets defensively yeah. this year. It hurt Quinn Williams. Quincy Williams. <laughs> Some of the players that he brought in in free agency – did work. Quincy Williams looks yeah. like he's going to be a player. They found some guys. They really did. Franklin Myers uh, that they brought in. He They gave him a long-term deal. and I, He didn't look good in the second half of the season. I think he was playing hurt. But I think the Jets are positioned in a very good way. And I, I think maybe three, four moves in the draft that really... And last year's draft, 
for Joe Douglas was sensational. Yep. That was a great draft. The year before that, all they got out of that draft was Bryce Hall, who looks like he's going to be a great player. Yeah. And, and Makai Beckham. All the other picks, Ashton Davis, eh, he's yeah. a serviceable safety, yeah. but he hasn't really turned out to be the player they thought he was going to be. And everybody else, they're either not on the team or they got cut. Man's a good kicker. Everybody else, no. But last year, per, great. If he has another draft like last year, the Jets are not far away from being a very, very good team for the next five to six years. It really could change by this offseason with the money that they have and the draft stock. They're not going to have as many draft picks as they ever had than this year. And the last time the Jets had a load of first-round draft picks and a load of second- and third-round draft picks, if you remember, it was the Mangold-Ferguson draft. Mm -hmm. They brought Ferguson, Mangold, and Keller in. Keller was a serviceable tight end. Yeah, just had a lot of injury problems. Injuries, and and Mangold and Ferguson are Hall of Famers. So, uh, and, And the last time they did that before that, it was Bill Parcells. He brought in Chad Pennington, Sean, Sean Ellis, Ellis yeah. and uh, who was the other one? It was somebody else, another defensive lineman. And right after that, in the second round, he brought in David Harris. Th- that's where the Jets are heading. Let's see what Joe Douglas can do. When we come back, we will get into our free-for-all picks of the week. And we will get into Wild Card Sunday and Monday, Saturday. Unbelievable games, fun games, and we will get into that. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I am a Ranger fan, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Ollie on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, New York hockey has been pretty good. The Islanders playing great hockey. The Rangers playing great hockey. The Islanders are going to play catch-me-up. But if there's any team that could come back from the deficit there, that position in, because of the way the team's built, it's the Islanders. They're getting healthier. Obviously, Barry Trotz coming off of COVID. Also, Pulak from COVID. They're going to be at full strength, something that we haven't seen since the first week of the season when they were traveling all over the place. So uh, we will get into the Islanders and the Rangers next segment. But... I want to get into Wild Card Sunday. You know, it's so funny because I keep saying Wild Card Sunday because we all expect football to be on Sunday, right? But now the NFL, they have a football game on the Wild Card games on Monday, three on Sunday, and two on Saturday. Yeah. It's all over the place. I understand they want to make money. I understand the way the NFL works. But come on. How is that fair to the Monday games? Because you look at right now Arizona and the Rams. Whoever wins that game, they're going to be playing on a short week. Yeah, I know. It's not like you could just put them back on Monday again. It's because they're going to only do two days for the second round. It's it's not going to be fair. How is that fair to those teams that are going to be, yeah, they're going to get the extra day right now. But then they're they're going to be going into a harder game, a divisional series. Right, against the Bucks or the Packers, uh, yes. depending on how those seeding plays out. Uh, and, and you're going to have to go to either Tampa or cold Green Bay right. with the snow or maybe below zero with those crazy fans. Unless but, the Eagles somehow pull it out, then they might end up with the Cowboys. Or who knows, maybe, maybe one of them gets a home game against the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, but to me, looking at the first game of the week it, with the 
Oakland Raiders, and I say Oakland because we all know they're the Las Vegas Raiders, but it's so much more nicer and it flows better calling them the Oakland Raiders because that's who they were. Yes. And the Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Cincinnati, who's had a sensational season. Defensively, throughout the season, they've been one of the best defenses in the league. Who would have thought a coach that I really believed in, in, in the last two years was going to be fired really has taken this team to that next level. And maybe it's because of the quarterback play, maybe because of having that luck of drafting a guy like Joe Burrow who really fell to them, a guy that from Ohio State that was a backup, really a third string at one point. He gets brought in in LSU, has one of those unbelievable years, one of the greatest quarterback uh, seasons we've ever seen a quarterback have with 60 touchdowns and won a Heisman, won a national championship, and then he was the number one pick. Some unbelievable player in this league, and I think a future of quarterbacks in the NFL really reminds me of a Tom Brady. He really does. Uh, inside the pocket. But I look at this game, and it's really about coaching. An Oakland Raider team that doesn't have John Gruden there anymore. They have a backup coach where everybody says, uh, you know, he's probably not going to get the job at the end of the season. Remember the last time Oakland had a coach that took over the team and didn't get the team at the end of the season. Remember that? Then coached the Browns. Oh, Hugh Jackson. That's, yeah, right. that's right. Remember that? Yeah. Jason Campbell, a quarterback that year. They almost made the playoffs. They just choked right at the end of the and season. And then they fired Jackson. After that, guess what? He got a job pretty quick. He got, got, got the a Bengals job. offensive coordinator, yeah. and he did very well there. And then he got a job with the Browns, and he did very bad there. But well, uh, It's the Browns. At that time, no coach was doing well there. This has happened to Raider coaches before, but... Again, two coaches that are not very well known, not like uh, the big pizzazz names like the Belichicks of the world or the Sean Paytons of the world or the Andy Reeds of the world. This is a game where these coaches are going to have to make big decisions in big positions with two really great quarterbacks and Derek Carr, who I think is so underrated in yes. this league. And Joe Burrows, who I speak very highly of. Yeah, it, this is the one that's very interesting because it's all new all at once. You have Rich Masaccio, who's an inter- interim guy, and he's done well at certain points, and he looked bad in the middle of the season. And Zach Taylor, like you mentioned, a guy that I'm still not crazy about as a coach, but he definitely has made improvements this year. I was saying, okay, give him one more chance with now having a little more with these weapons. Jamar Chase. He's going to get more than just one chance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I still am not crazy about him as an in-game coach. I think some of the play calls he's made have definitely been interesting but again he's there he did very well when they needed to do the Bengals won a lot of clutch games on the stretch and like you mentioned that defense in the final month of the season played very very well outside of the Chiefs game but again not not many defenses play well against the Chiefs so mm-hmm. you can't really blame them for that and that defense against the run especially was very good all year stopping a lot of top running backs really the only teams that were able to run on them oddly enough were the Jets and the Jaguars <laughs> figure that one out well Michael Carter he, he's a he's a skirmish type of running back that you can use in the backfield, and they've had problems with those type of running backs. Uh, And I don't know if Oakland has that type of running back. They have Jacobs, Mm -hmm. who is more – he could do that, but he's more of a power back. He's going to run up the gut. He's going to try to beat you uh, with strength and power, not with speed. Yep. Uh, But – I think the Bengals also have the same running back. They have uh, Joe Mixon, who is also a very underrated running back, could be a top five running back in the league. Uh, When healthy, he just beats the opposition up. And and I think the Bengals have the better wide receivers. I mean, obviously, Jamar Chase, who I think is going to win Rookie of the Year, with other guys like Higgins and and Boyd, who really didn't have the season we thought he was going to have, but still a dangerous player. You're going into this game, and you look. Cincinnati's looking pretty. 
They're, they're at home. When was the last time they played a home game in the playoffs? I mean, the last time they lost when they should have won. And then Vontaze Perfect had the big hit. And then Adam Jones threw a hissy fit to the, uh, to the referees and put the Steelers in field goal range. Absolutely. So uh, you're looking at the, the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in like 20 years. 1991, the longest drought in the NFL. 30 years. Okay. So uh, you, you're talking about this is an opportunity where. Joe Burrows can actually end something that it's, it's been aching and really tampering on the shoulders of this Bengals organization. And listen, the Bengals are really positioned. If they can rebuild this offensive line, which they're going to have a chance to do in the draft this year, because uh, they're they're good offensive linemen that you can get in the second round, too, mm-hmm. that are going to fall there, you know, interior defensive play, uh, offensive players. So I look at the Bengals. If they could fix this offensive line, they're going to be very hard to beat. I mean – uh, the, the defense is good. They can stop the run. They can stop the pass. The only thing they've had a problem with all season long is the offensive line. And that's where Oakland can dominate. Crosby and the, the pass rush they have over there. This could absolutely be an opportunity where they can cause a lot of havoc and put Joe Burrows on his ass. But that has to last, you know, moving forward uh, in the game, and they got to put a lot of pressure on Joe Burris. Yeah, they're going to have to definitely win the pass rush battle because their run defense has been iffy throughout the year. I believe they're 22nd in run defense, so Mixon has an edge there, and those exotic running schemes that the Bengals use, more of the McVay-type offense with Zach Taylor. So... The Bengals are going to have to win the line of scrimmage for that to happen because Burrow in a clean pocket was the highest graded passer according to Pro Football Focus. Actually, speaking of Pro Football Focus, well, I mentioned it. Uh, shout out to uh, a guest of the show, friend of the show, Ian Hart. It's had a funny tweet. Joe Burrow has the confidence that he could drive with a mountain lion in his car. That was pretty funny. Probably could. Probably yeah. Could. So that's how uh, Joe cool. That's how what he is. But again, when he gets pressured, obviously it could be a different scenario. And that tandem with Crosby and Nagakwe has been really good for the Raiders this year. The other thing that's going to be an interesting match up Jamar Chase versus a corner in Casey Hayward, who's played very well for the Raiders. Now, Chase has a big size advantage in that matchup, but Hayward's played very well. So if the Raiders can at least contain or win that battle, too, that's huge for them. As far as the Patriots and Bills on the final game of Saturday night, well, this is it's going to be a cold game. Uh, I think it's going to be the battle of the running games. And now I... I look at the Bills, uh, the Patriots have won and dominated in Buffalo for many, many years. I, I mean, you're talking about Tom Brady, even Mac Jones, this year they beat him in Buffalo. Uh, they, and, and the Bills beat him in, in New England. So right. uh, this is in, in Billsville or whatever you want to call it. And, and, and to me, Buffalo needs to win this game because if the Patriots somehow win this game, it really dampers where this team is going to be next year and what the team needs to do in the offseason. Because you're talking about Josh Allen getting a big contract. You're going to lose some players in free agency because you just gave Josh Allen a $200 million contract. So you have a lot resting on your quarterback, which as well as you should because he's your franchise. But again, this team has been a top defensive team year in and year out. They, they've had a good offensive line, and they can't get over the hump. They can't beat the good teams. They can't beat Kansas City. They can't beat the Patriots. They need to find a way to beat these teams if they have any chance, any chance to really put their mark away from the Buffalo Bill teams in the 90s uh, where they were dominant, but they couldn't win. Yeah, Bill Belichick is always going to be one that's going to take out your top player. So the Bills have to be prepared for that. Now, the other question is, can they get a guy that could emerge as a second receiving option for Josh Allen? Because their other prominent 
receivers are more smaller guys. It's usually bigger, more physical guys that do better against the Patriots because they love to do press coverages, press zones, combo coverages, whatever. So guys like Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders, those are smaller guys. I mean, those are not the the ones that dominate. Somebody like Gabriel Davis is going to have to be a big factor in this game. And like you were saying, definitely the running game because the the Patriots... cold. It might be snowy. Yeah, the the Patriots like to let teams run at times and stop them when they need to. But does Buffalo have the running attack to do that is another question. Maybe Matt Breida comes out of nowhere. Maybe Zach Moss, who's been a healthy scratch, plays a role in the game. He's actually done well against the Patriots in his career so far in the little bit he's played. But still, they need some kind of running game to have some kind of balance to win this game. Battle of the kickers. You watch. This game could be the battle of uh, who could kick the ball better. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Eagles in Tampa. A lot of people are counting out the Eagles, okay? And I don't count out the Eagles. If, if you remember, the first time they played this year, it was 22-28, the final. Tampa won, and, and Tampa barely won that game. Tampa is fighting and playing on fumes. They lost Antonio Brown now. He, he's out, obviously, because of the craziness uh, that he really created in MetLife Stadium. And then uh, their wide receiving core, they lost Godwin for the season, yep. tearing his ACL. This team is really you know, going to the playoffs on fumes, and as good as they are on paper and as good as Tom Brady has been this year, I, I would say this. The Eagles are more healthy going into this game. The Eagles are even more dangerous because the defense in the front seven has been as good as any front seven in football. And uh, they brought this guy Slay in from the Lions. And the corner position uh, over the last couple of years, and we all know about the Eagles and, and how much money they've spent at that position. They have an opportunity now where – this guy, which they paid and they traded for, has to step up and has to stop, you know, their number one guy. And you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So, so the key, I think, for the Eagles, I think. Running. Run the ball against this Patriots. I don't care if they're fifth in running. They've had problems against running quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts runs his ass off today and gets some yard, extra yardage. I'm telling you, they can mm-hmm. win this game. Yeah, that's definitely one to look at because if they could get some exotic play calling to really throw off Todd Bowles and that defense, that definitely could be an impact matchup where they're going to have to put more le- or more run stoppers on the field, more contained guys, and that'll take something away from their pass rush. That's definitely one. I-, I agree with you. I like the idea of Darius Slay and Mike Evans the whole time throughout that game. Now, the, the where the big deficiency is the middle of the field for the Eagles. Their linebackers and coverage aren't anything special. They're safeties. Rodney McLeod's okay, but he's nothing He's nothing more really than average. And Tampa's gonna, has all those tight ends that they can make. Obviously Gronk, but also Cameron Brayton, and even somebody like O.J. Howard, who's used more as a blocker, but who knows? Maybe in this kind of game, he's going to have to be a receiver without Godwin or Antonio Brown. So you're dealing with a lot of youngsters. Bruce Arians is not really somebody that likes to use the tight ends, but might have to in this game. Brady will use them if they're on the field, no question. And then the, the Buccaneers rushing attack against the Eagles run defense, which was bad in the first half of the season and was very good in the second half of the season season will be another interesting matchup. I think this game is going to be, you know, back and forth and it's going to be very, very close. Anybody that thinks Tampa is going to blow them out, they couldn't blow out the Jets. So if they can't blow out the Jets, you really think they're going to blow out this Eagles team. And I know what you're going to say. Well, the Cowboys blow them out. The Cowboys played their JV squad, yeah. okay? <laughs> I, I mean, not the Cowboys. Uh, the Eagles played their, their JV squad against the Cowboys, and the Cowboys played their starters. And that's why the Cowboys won. They scored 50 points. It's not going to happen in this game. I think this is going to be very close. And it, I believe what defense wants it more. And whoever, whatever team can run the ball and play defense harder is going to win this game. Uh, San Francisco and the Cowboys, 
Well, here, a lot of people believe this is San Francisco's game to lose. And the reason why is they match up very, very, very well against the Cowboys. Here's the thing about the Cowboys that you have to and hope to expect from this team. Michael Parson has to get to the quarterback. They have to put pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. And also, I want to see Van Der Esch, who's fighting for a new contract in the offseason. I want to see Lawrence, who got a big contract a couple of years ago, really couldn't stay healthy and really hasn't produced the player that they thought he was going to be. This defense needs to show up in a big game and knock San Francisco on their ass. That was something the L.A. Rams last year, I mean last year, last week couldn't do. And and that's one of the, you have one of the best pass rushers, one of the best defensive players we've ever seen. And, and Aaron Donald and, and Vaughn Miller and, and uh, Jalen Ramsey. They couldn't knock this San Francisco team on their ass. And San Francisco can run the ball. The Cowboys are going to have to stop the run. Very important. Stop this run and put pressure on Jimmy. If they do that, it doesn't matter what their offense does. They will win this game. There's going to be an interesting chess match between how the Cowboys are going to use Micah Parsons because he could play everywhere and how the 49ers are going to use Debo Samuel because he could play everywhere. He's lined up as a running back, had six rushing touchdowns this year, lines up in the slot outside, and for Micah Parsons, he had all those sacks, but he also was great in coverage and run tackling. He could play middle, outside, wherever. So that'll be an interesting thing. The one thing that worries me about this matchup is Kyle Shanahan has been very good at decoying against a opponent's top defensive player. So if Parsons is being used more of a pass rusher, will other guys step up? KZ or Keanu Neal as a safety, like you were saying, Van Der Esch. Because the 49ers' middle of the field weapons are very good, especially with George Kittle now back. So mm-hmm. that's going to be a big key. And also pass-catching running backs for the 49ers that could emerge as well. The 49ers love to have random running backs emerge, so Dan Quinn is going to have to be prepared for that. And then on the Dallas offensive side, can their receivers stretch the field? The Niners secondary is nothing special, so if they can stretch the field, they can get protection, they can win in the line of scrimmage. They could definitely win this game in a shootout, but they're going to have to get that kind of protection, and they're going to have to have those receivers go deep. Mike McCarthy's a West Coast guy, but he's got to stretch the field. Kansas City in Pittsburgh, the last and possibly final game for Ben Roethlisberger, and why not end it in a place that he has had problems winning year in and year out, really since Patrick Mahomes has has been the starting quarterback for this organization, and even when Alex Smith was there. I think this is a very good matchup, and I'll tell you why. When you look at Ben Roethlisberger, nobody expects him to win, and even Ben said it on Friday when he did the press conference. He yeah. says, we're just out there. We're lucky to be here, blah, blah, blah. We've heard Ben say this before, and, and it, it kind of wiles up his team, and Earning your spot, earning the way they did to make the playoffs only shows you one thing, that this team is gritty and this team can get at you. And I don't trust Ben Roethlisberger against Patrick Mahomes. If you were to make a bet, you know, 10 out of, you know, one out of 10 times, I would say that Ben could actually outplay a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Okay, that means nine nine times out of 10, Patrick Mahomes would dominate the game. But this is a particular game that it's going to be cold. It could be a little bit snowy. It could be the 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 ground could be hard. And it, it, to me, it's all it's the battle of the running games when it's cold and the, the ground's hard because whoever can run the ball in Herrera or, or, or even um, what's his name, Darrell again? Williams, D- too. Darrell Williams or uh, the running back, uh, the other running back for the Patriot, uh, the Pittsburgh, Najee Harris. Najee yeah. Harris, I, I forget his name, but. Even with Najee Harris, whoever runs the ball better is going to win this game. I don't think 
even with uh, Tyreek Hill, who wasn't in the last game, or Travis Kelsey, who wasn't in the last game, and they dominated the game, that that is going to be the end-all, be-all why Pittsburgh's going to lose this game. Pittsburgh's going to lose this game if Pittsburgh can't put pressure on Patrick Mahomes, get him off his, his, his right foot or his left foot, make him move outside of the pocket and throw the ball uncomfortably. If they do that, and they can run the ball and control the clock, Pittsburgh wins this game. Yeah, if they get a second pass rusher or even a blitz package that could emerge for that kind of thing, it, they could definitely do that. The problem is their secondary is nothing special outside of Minka Fitzpatrick, and even he's had a down year, and their run defense has been horrible too. So the, the, the Steelers have to prepare for T.J. Watt to be double-teamed a lot, chipped, whatever, because he's really that, that guy. He should win Defensive Player of the Year. He had a he will. phenomenal season. But this, you know Andy Reid. They're going to game plan for that kind of thing. So some second pass rusher is going to have to merge. If the Steelers are going to win this game, it's all ball control. It's all defense. So they need to really have that kind of – exquisite coaching performance, Mike Tomlin, Keith Butler, the defensive corner, because Big Ben can only stretch the field so much. And the Chiefs are vulnerable big plays, but the Steelers can't really throw the ball deep. Absolutely. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Cardinals and the Rams. And here's the thing. Uh, all right, and we can go back and forth with the Cardinals and the Rams, and, and this is the best game of the week, hands down. Kyler Murray is 8, well, the, the Arizona Cardinals are 8-1, and one away this year. They have been a worse team at home all season long. So that advantage goes to the Cardinals. Now, J.J. Watt coming back. Hopkins coming back. The weapons that they have. Kyler Murray almost at 100%, he says. I think in position, both coaches really have their jobs in jeopardy. Kingsbury, who could be fired at the end of the year, and I believe Sean McVay could be looking for a new job at the end of the season as well. So uh, with all the draft stock that they traded away and, and really have given their future away for this season, this one season, because the Super Bowl's in L.A. and they want to win it in L.A. So I think when you look at the big picture and you look at the Cardinals and the Rams, it's going to be who wants it more. They're both very talented teams. They both have good running games. They have both good throwing games. They both can play defense. They both have good secondaries. They both could do everything that you want a team to do to win. And who and what quarterback, being that both quarterbacks really don't have a lot of experience in the playoffs, what quarterback is going to show up in the game and win the game with his arm? That's going to be the question. Yeah, I, th- I don't, well, I don't think the coaches are going to get fired. It's it, Cliff Kingsbury is definitely going to have to show some kind of creativity with this. I think since the injuries have really happened with Hopkins and James Conner as well, they just got Chase Evans back. It seems like there are some instances where he looks too conservative at times. That's a big reason they lost to the Colts, a big reason they lost uh, certain games uh, t- against, uh, against the Packers. You saw uh, when the Packers had everybody out. There are certain games where they just play down to teams a lot of the times too. They lost to the Lions, for crying out loud. So Kingsbury's definitely going to have to show that kind of thing uh, because McVay, we know he can coach. Now, the question is, on the Rams' side, can they stop the run? Because Well, hold on one sec. We, we don't know if McVay could coach because he hasn't won anything in the playoffs. He hasn't won a championship in the playoffs. We don't know if he could coach when, when the pressure's on. We, we know that he could coach against Bill Belichick when the pressure was on. No, no question. But I think uh, there's how many coaches have been outcoached by Bill Belichick. He's not the only one. But still, we know that he, could fit, he knows these players better. The Cardinals, I think, still have – they're patching a lot of things together, especially with the injuries. Now, the, def- the, the defense for the Cardinals, they can rush the passer now, especially getting J.J. Watt back. And the Rams' line is still kind of suspect. It's not great. It's okay. And the Rams – 
can they run the ball? Cam Akers is back. Daryl Henderson's still hurt. So we'll see if they can make that kind of thing. Sony Michelle did well in the playoffs for the Patriots. Maybe he's an X factor. And for the Cardinals, can they run the ball with a guy in James Conner that isn't 100% and Chase Edmonds, too, just came back? Because they can expose the Ram, Rams' outside run defense has really been a struggle. And the Rams are like the Cowboys, too. They have a lot of stars on defense, but a lot of holes, too. So can Arizona exploit that will be a big matchup to All watch. right, so we're going to do our free-for-all, free-for-all pick, Speedy. All right, so we'll start with the Raiders and the Bengals, the over-under 48.5. I'm going to take the Bengals. Bengals in this one. Joe Burrow, great comeback quarterback. He wins it close. I'm going to take them on the under. I got the Bengals, too. I got them on the under. I think Joe Burrows is the quarterback of this age of quarterbacks, and I think he's going to take over the league in many, many years to come. So give me the Bengals on the under. All right, Patriots at Bills over under 44.5. Uh, Bills 0-5-1 possession games. I'm taking the Patriots in the under. I am taking the Bills. I think this is a very important game for the Bills to really stat, you know, state who they are in the playoffs. Give me Josh Allen and the Bills. Eagles-Buccaneers 45.5. I'm going to take Tampa. I think the Eagles will hang tough in the first half, and then Tampa will run away with it third, fourth quarter. I'll take Tampa. I'll take them on the under. I got Tampa, too. I think it's going to be a very close game, and I think the Eagles will have a chance to win. But I'm good. I, I can't bet against Tom Brady against uh, a team that's really that has a rookie quarterback in the playoffs. So I'm going to go with Tampa on the under. All right, 49ers and Cowboys over under 51. I'm going to take the 49ers shootout game. I'm definitely smashing the over. I'm going to take the 49ers. I think their coaching's a little better. Over. I've got the Cowboys on the over. I think they're the better team, and I think Mika, Mika Parsons is going to put a lot of pressure on the San Francisco 49ers. So give me the Cowboys. On the over. All right, Steelers, Chiefs, over under 46. I'm taking the Chiefs in this game. I'm going to take them on the over for sure. I think they win a lot. I'm going to tell you this right now. I think the Steelers are going to have an opportunity to win this game. If I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they win this game. But I got Kansas City. Obviously, a lot of people do. They have them in the Super Bowl. Uh, this game will be close. I, I, I have Pittsburgh and Kansas City being close, but Kansas City. On the over. All right, Cardinals and Rams is 49.5. I'm going to take the Rams. I think the Cardinals just a little too banged up. I think this is where the injuries catch up to them. Uh, over, under, 49.5, I'll take under. Who do you got, the Cardinals? Rams. I got the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals 8-1 away. I think Cardinals uh, have been sensational, uh, you know, playing the, playing their games uh, in other stadiums. So give me the Cardinals. Kyla Murray, uh, they'll be able to run. Um, I got it on the under. I got, the, I got the Arizona-LA Rams on the under. And those are our picks of the week, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, some hockey conversation. We'll talk about the Rangers, the Islanders, and everything that's going on in the NHL when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. <laughs> We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy. I'm wearing no underwear, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Ollie on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the world's Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Wide Sports Radio Network. I almost said fourth radio network and sports <laughs> radio network. But uh, happy to be here. I'm happy to entertain all the people on this wonderful Saturday night with the Islanders playing. And yes, the Islanders playing this 
early afternoon. But the Islanders are playing good hockey, Speedy. They, they really are uh, coming back from this whole COVID stint and, and what the NHL did to them are not canceling the games early when, when they got really sick and they were using really players we've never even heard of. Some the, Their starting lineup uh, consisted of, of AHL players that you, you probably wouldn't be in the NHL. But nevertheless... The Islanders are still fighting, and I, even if the Islanders don't make the playoffs because they just started off so really bad this year, I, there's still a lot of good hockey left. I mean, you have 50 games left. I mean, there's more than enough hockey mm-hmm. for the Islanders to catch up to the opposing teams. That, and listen, the Rangers are going to go on losing streaks. The Philadelphia Flyers, who are look, uh, they're playing three times in the next five games, yeah. could go on a losing streak. I mean, this is the chance the Islanders can catch up to the teams that are in front of them, Speedy. Well, the Flyers are already on a six-game losing streak, so that's a good start for the Islanders, who have seven games at hand on the Flyers. The Penguins are right now one of the wild-card teams that they're going to have to catch up to. They have six games at hand, or seven games at hand on them, and are currently 19 points behind. And the Penguins, again, they're an older team, so they might get in the slump, too. They're one of those teams that's very weird, but that's going to be the main competition for the Islanders, because the Bruins... They were in the same position as the Islanders where they kind of had the same amount of games at hand. Now they're on a huge winning streak, and now they're looking very good. So I think the team to aim for right now, if you're the Islanders, is the Penguins. But first, got to leapfrog all those other teams. I don't trust Columbus. I don't really trust New Jersey. And, yeah, the Flyers, yeah, they're playing abysmal. I, I think where, where the Islanders need to get back and healthy is the defensive side of the puck. And uh, Pulak coming back, and, and obviously Barry Trotz from their COVID stand. And Pulak was out for six weeks because of his injury. And then you brought Brock Nelson back. He needs to figure things out. He needs to get on the scoring line. Level two, they need to start scoring. You know, scoring. They had problems uh, this afternoon scoring goals in the first two heads for first two periods. They scored nothing in the first two periods. Couldn't do anything. And 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 Washington was dominant defensively. Now the Islanders are one of the top defensive teams in the league when they're at full strength. And with Barry Trotz and the way Barry Trotz coaches, this team was not going to be. You know, in position where they weren't going to be one of the top defensive teams. Pelic makes the All Star games, uh, All Star game this year, and obviously Barzell could actually be be a mm-hmm. fan vote too. In so the Anglers could have two predominant uh, All Stars, something we haven't seen really since John Tavares and Barzell made the play, uh, made the All Star game right. together. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time. So I, I want to see the Islanders just play hard and work hard. And if they do that, I think the Islanders can absolutely compete and catch the teams that are in front of them. And I think they are, that with what Sorokin has done all season long, even when the Islanders weren't playing defensively very well, it, it's been remarkable. It really has. A, a, really, a second-year goal, goaltender who Valamo, the position that he was last year, he was one of the best goalies in the league last year and had an opportunity to win goaltender of the year. And and didn't win. And then he got hurt. Sorokin took over in the playoffs. He earned. Uh, he beat Boston on it, really himself. Yeah. And then after he beat Boston, they took him out and they played. They played Volamov against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And what did they do? They lost. So I I, I want to see Sorokin play more. He's the young player. He's the he's the player that they're going to build their team around moving forward. That's what we want to see, and that's what any Islander fan wants to see moving forward. Yeah, I think the Islanders are going to have to – it's going to be all team effort. It's going to be all physicality that they're going to have to get going. But they Score, need some, Palmieri. They need to stay, Please. They need to get some level of offensive depth. Yes, Palmieri is a big key to that. Like you were saying, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, those guys, they have to get going. That line was supposed to be – the way they play in the playoffs, that's supposed to was supposed to carry over. It hasn't done that. Even Beauvillier's been benched at certain times this year. So yeah, they need some level of depth to be able to do that. But getting Barry Trotz back is a good start after he missed a couple games. As far as the Rangers are concerned, there's really nothing to say about bad about the Rangers. The Rangers are playing great hockey. 
They really are. And if you're a Ranger fan, which I'm not, but if you are a Ranger fan, there's really nothing to say, but it's been a remarkable season for their coach, who I believe is coach of the year. All right. If the, if the season were to end right now, there is no doubt in my mind. Uh, what's his name again? I'm sorry. Gerard Gallant. Uh, Gerard Gallant is, is the coach of the year. He, they, he's been remarkable. Just like Barry Trotz was when he came to the Islanders, changed the whole path for the Islanders. I think Gerard Gallant has done the same thing for the Rangers. Now, is Gerard Gallant Barry Trotz? No. Okay, I, I don't think he is. But Gerard Gallant, we, we've seen him take teams to the Stanley Cup Finals, and we see, he's never won a Stanley Cup championship, but he is, he's, he's good with young players and development of young players, and he teaches uh, team defense, something that the Rangers, even though this year they're not a very good one-on-one defensive team, but a team defensive team, they've been very, very good. So, uh, and, and their goaltender, who is Sestorkin, who's been fabulous. And, and Ranger fans like think he's the next thing since sliced bread, since Henrik Lundqvist. I don't think he's Henrik Lundqvist. Okay? And anybody that thinks that he is, well, I guess you don't know how good Henrik Lundqvist was. But Sestorkin has been a very good goaltender for the Rangers. And if he continues doing what he's doing... Um, He's going to be up uh, amongst the league's best. Yeah. A lot of Ranger fans are just happy that the Rangers could just transition easily from Lundqvist to Shesterkin, where a lot of teams we see have a lot of trouble developing goaltenders. It's a very up-and-down position, especially with the injuries. But the Rangers definitely have a, a one for sure in Shesterkin that's played very well. He just got a shutout against the Sharks. He got a shutout a couple weeks ago against the Lightning. Beat the Lightning in back-to-back games, one of which was with Georgiev, too. But still proving a lot right now. And yes, Gallant is not Barry Trotz, but he definitely brought some Barry Trotz-like qualities to this Rangers team. Defense with forwards, I think, has been a very big key. They're still not winning face-offs, which, yeah, that's still not great. But they're actually doing better in the defensive zone, like you were saying, in terms of penalty kill, in terms of certain key stops, they've been able to do it. Yes, five-on-five, they do need to get a little better. They're actually very good in both power play and penalty kill this year, which is not normally like the Rangers, especially with the power play. But they're improving in those areas a lot. And right now, they're in first place. Now, Carolina does have four games at hand on them right now because they've had some COVID issues, too. So, actually, honestly, I don't even want to win the division because I'd rather play the Capitals and the Hurricanes, but still, they're in very good position right now. Goal differential 16, and proving a lot that you don't want to play the games. Islanders either. No, I don't want to play the Islanders they either, squeak but I definitely don't want to play Carolina. One, with the way they beat the Rangers in the Hub City uh, playoffs there, and also with the defense that they have and now having a great goaltender, too, with Frederick Anderson having the year he's had this year, too. has been very impressive, but even if they don't win the division, if they're even second, it's really a big step in the development, and definitely works with Gallant. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? So no debate, or this week, but we will do the Wild Card Weekend edition of Crunch Time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, another show of the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy. I am still not wearing underwear, Speedy. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 no debate wars because of our long, great show with our special guest, Greg Bishop, who was fantastic. Fantastic. If you haven't listened to the interview that we had, we'll post it up on our, our, our app. You go to the podcast end for the replays, and you can actually hear the interview. It's unbelievable stories that he tells you, stories that you've never heard before. 
So, Speedy, you ready? Yep, it is time for the Wild Card Weekend Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So we're going to do one for each game. We'll start with the Steelers and the Chiefs. Buy or sell. The Steelers will simply cover the minus 12.5 point spread. I'm saying they're going to cover. I really do. I think this game's going to be a lot closer than you think. I think this is Big Ben's final game. And I think the team's going to play very, very hard for him, knowing that he is a, he's really one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever step on the field from one of the greatest football teams of all time. So I'm going to buy that they're going to cover. I'm going to sell it. I don't think they have enough on defense. TJ Watson, Minka Fitzpatrick are very good, but Andy Reid and that coaching staff will make adjustments to those types of players. They're really bad against the run, and I think the Chiefs will run away with it in the second half. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Somebody other than Stephon Diggs will lead the Patriots versus Bills game in receiving yards. I'm going to buy that. It's they're going to have to. I think Davis, he's played well for the last couple of weeks. Maybe they're tight end in Knox. Uh, he could play a big part of the game. Maybe they're uh, running backs catching the ball in the backfield. But it's not going to be Stefan Diggs because you and everybody knows what Bill Belichick loves to do is take out your best target. I will buy that somebody else is going to have to step up to win this game. I'm going to buy it, too. I think it's not going to be anyone obvious. It might even be a running back, too. Don't be surprised if it's either Devin Singletary or Damian Harris, too, because the tight ends, that's going to be a tough matchup for both of those teams with both of them having good, good linebackers. I agree with you on Gabriel Davis. I think he could definitely be a big factor in this game as well. Also, watch out for Nelson Aguilar, who is very good in the playoffs for the Eagles. I could see him making an impact for the Patriots, too, but I'm definitely going to buy it. All right, last one in the AFC. Both Joe Mixon and Josh Jacobs will have 100-plus rushing yards. Um... That's a good question. I'm going to sell that. I don't think both of them. One of them will. And I think whoever runs over 100 yards is going to win the game. So I'm going to sell that. I don't believe that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think Mixon will. Raiders haven't been able to stop the run. And he's featured a lot more. Josh Jacobs gets rotated out a lot by his coaching staff. Whether it's Kenyon Drake when he was healthy, Peyton Barber now. uh, They get rotated out. So I am going to sell it. Buy or sell. Kyler Murray will have more passing yards than Matthew Stafford. I'm going to buy that. I think Kyler Murray is going to have the better game. I think he's going to be the reason why they win the game. Even though I think Matthew Stafford has the better arm, I think Kyler Murray is the more accurate throw. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think he'll have more dual yards with the rushing yards included. But raw passing yards, no. I don't think the Cardinals secondary has enough depth against those wide receivers to be able to do that. And Kyler Murray dealing with a lot of the injuries with their receivers too. Rondell Moore has kind of been non-existent as well the second half of the season. I am going to sell it. Buy or sell. Darius Slay will hold Mike Evans under 80 yards. I buy it. I think right now Mike Evans is an 100% healthy, and Slay is. He's the healthiest he's been all season long, and I think it's going to play a big part on why Philadelphia can win this game, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. He might have a touchdown, because they've been used a lot in the red zone. Evans had 15 touchdowns this year, but I agree with you. I think the game plan's going to be more oriented towards the tight ends, and more of the pass-catching running backs against the middle of the field where the Eagles are very weak, and Mike Evans really hasn't been the target monster that he used to be when Jameis Winston was there, so I'm also going to buy that. Alright, last one. 49ers-Cowboys games. Three out of four of CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Debo Samuel and George Kittle will have 100 plus yards receiving. I'm going to sell that. I, I, I don't think that. I think this game might be a low scoring game. I think it's going to be the battle of the running games. I don't think it's going to be the battle of the wide receivers. I think whoever runs the ball better is going to win the game. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to buy it. I couldn't disagree with you more. I think it's going to be a, more of a passing game. Both teams have been able to stop the run well, especially the Niners in the second half of the season, kind of like the Eagles turning it around. Uh, I don't think Cooper does because I think he's had a tough time getting back into the groove of things. He was out with COVID for a while. Then he just had another COVID violation recently, too. I think Lamb will. He's the guy that stretches the field, and I definitely think Kittle does, because I think if they use Micah Parsons as a pass rusher, 
because outside of Lawrence, they really don't have much after that. You're going to see Kyle Shanahan really expose that. Debo Samuel, I love in this matchup. They could decoy away for Diggs. So I don't think Cooper will. The other three will. And I definitely think this is a shootout, a passing shootout. I will buy that in a heartbeat. And that's why I think it's going to be a running shootout. All right. Everybody thinks it's going to be a passing shootout. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for our show. We'll be back next week talking about the divisional games. Enjoy your football wildcard weekend. We have a lot to talk about next week. We'll have another special great guest for all you fans to listen to. Thank you to Greg Bishop for giving us the time, really telling us those amazing stories. We're happy to be here. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Keep listening to us. We'll be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy. I'm not wearing any underwear, Petey, saying goodnight. And we'll talk to you next week. Good night.